0: What does it take to sell over $24 billion worth of real estate? I have sold uh, 2,327 properties in New York City. You didn't originally want to go into real estate, which is always an ironic origin story.
1: in New Jersey, uh, a town called Maywood. It's between Hackensack and Paramus in Bergen County. Third summer, I got my real estate license in New Jersey and I was
0: the assistant for an industrial broker 26 years later, in 2014, uh, that's when you sold Cushman & Wakefield for $100 million. And it
1: was like a ghost town, Scott, unbelievable. No stores were open, there were no people on the street, there were no cars moving. The second after they think, hey, I need to sell, you want the next thing for them to think of is, hey, let me call Bob.
0: Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. They supported the show for over two years now, and I've used HubSpot for the majority of my professional career. One of the most useful tools that is included in the HubSpot suite of products is Sales Hub. Sales Hub is an all-in-one platform built with the tools and insights that you need to communicate on a personal level with every lead, every prospect, every customer. It doesn't matter what kind of business you're building, Sales Hub makes it easier to close more deals and drive more revenue. If you're looking for a better way to acquire customers, and we all are because that is the lifeblood of our business, if you're looking to make smart, data-driven decisions, increase visibility, productivity, predictability of your revenue, You got to look at sales hub. It can organize and sort deals in your pipeline. It creates reminder tasks for your most important deadlines. It manages leads. It automates outreach. It tracks and closes deals all in one place. And on top of that, it's free to get started and it grows with your business as it scales, there's 1300 integrations and a ton of valuable add-ons, customize it exactly to your needs. With Sales Hub, closing deals is no longer a big deal. Go to HubSpot.com slash sales and try it for free. Bob, thank you for joining me. I appreciate you a lot. Um, I'm very excited to dive in. I always like to ask a question that's going to sort of kick off the conversation in a meaningful way. And the one that I thought of for you was, what does it take to sell over $24 billion worth of real estate?
1: <laughs> well, Scott, uh, first of all, great to be with you today. Um, and look, the, the real estate brokerage business is not a, uh, a flashy or glitzy business. And most of it is just very basic blocking and tackling, we call it. So uh, I think to uh, to sell, and I'm, I'm up to just, just under $22 billion. Uh, now, but uh, I have sold uh, 2,327 properties in New York City, and uh, the way we did that was just one at a time, uh, and uh, it's just a a focus on doing fundamental, basic stuff, but doing the right stuff. Uh, the you know working really hard, getting lucky. Uh, and just keeping at it, having the discipline to just do those very basic fundamental blocking and tackling type things over and over and over. And I tell people, you know, come up with a formula, implement that formula and do it day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Uh, In my case, decade after decade, we're now now in year 40, Um, but just absolutely love it. And it just, it was um you know doing some very fundamental things you know you always give the client advice that you think is in their best interest Uh, the easiest way to do that is just pretend that your clients your mom or dad you know if they own the property what would you tell them uh give people good advice you know create value in yourself uh in terms of being an expert in a segment of the market that you can clearly articulate to the client your expertise and that you can really help them uh, and do the right thing and just you know, get up every day and uh, get on top of the rock pile and swing away and uh, you just keep at it for a long period of time and before you know it, the numbers kind of add up. You know, it's funny.
0: It's just, it's just like age-old advice that can apply to any entrepreneur ever. You do it for long enough, you build your systems, you build your processes, you incorporate your learnings. It's going to end up being impressive over 40 years, which is absolutely wild. And yes, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to add an extra two billion on there. I'm just, I'm just forecasting out. I think that happened
1: early on. I, I had at the end of well, one of the years we were counting, it was 20.4 billion. Uh, okay. Somebody <laughs> said, oh, 24 billion, but over 20.4. Now it's, now it's uh, in, exactly uh, as of the end of last year, it was 21.8 uh, billion. So closing it on
0: 22. So you didn't originally want to go into real estate, which is always an ironic origin story. So maybe just walk us through that and how you got into it. Um, because, I mean, you know, you accidentally fall into something, but then you're successful on purpose. Uh, so where did you come from? That alone, yeah,
1: I, I don't I you into in, uh, in northern New Jersey, uh, a town called Maywood, which is, nobody's probably ever heard of Maywood, but it's between Hackensack and Paramus in Bergen County, uh, northern New Jersey. Uh, 1981 as a freshman at the Wharton school, wanted to be a wall street guy like every other Wharton kid, uh, thought it would be great to have a job at a commercial bank or investment bank on my resume. Uh, so I went around with my resume spring break, freshman year, uh, dropping it off at, at commercial banks and investment banks, came out of a Payne Weber office. Uh, saw a Coldwell banker across the hall, thought it was a bank. Uh, dropped my resume off. They called me later that day. I set up an interview. Go to the library. Look up this bank. See it's a real estate company. Almost don't go. But they were the only ones hiring college kids. for so the summer. Took the job. Loved it. Uh, actually had a really interesting um, uh, class. My sophomore year uh, it was entrepreneurial management. And we had a guest speaker that came in. And he said, you know, I know all of you probably want to be investment bankers because 20 years ago I was sitting where you're sitting today and I got to tell you I sell dog food for a living and I'm the happiest guy I know and he went into this whole thing about how he got into pet food and pet supplies and uh he just found something he was really passionate about and he says look don't worry about the um you know wanting to get a job that you'll make a lot of money at if you're getting in the business world if you achieve anywhere near the top of that industry, you're going to make a ton of money. So do something you really love. And it it hit me and I said, you know what? I really love what I did last summer. I want to to do real estate. And I took real estate classes, went back. Uh, I had done market research that first summer with CB. Second summer, I ran the market research group. Third summer, I got my real estate license in New Jersey and I was the assistant for an industrial broker uh, and I was driving around Morris County showing industrial space to tenants and buyers. And uh, it was just a, a great, great job. And then um, that third summer, um, the the guys in Hackensack said, hey, we'd love for you to come work full time here after you get out of school. And uh, I said, well, thanks. You know, I, I appreciate that. But, you know, can you set up an interview for me with the guys in New York? I think I might want to go talk to them. And, <laughs> uh, went to talk to the guys in New York and they offered me a position also. And I thought, you know, like the, the song says, if you make you could make it there, you could make it anywhere. So, um, I wanted to go to the big apple and, and try my hand at it. And that was 40 years ago. So just, uh, amazing run.
0: How, you know, how different was real estate in New York 40 years ago compared to the environment that we have right now?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, in environment, the, the environment in terms of deal making was um was a lot better in 1984 and 5 than it is today but the world has changed so much scott it's just unbelievable um when i was sitting at my desk in 1984 i had no computer on my desk Mm -hmm. no laptop no fax machine no cell phone uh we used to carry rolls of, of quarters around in our pocket so that we could stop at phone booths out on the street and call people if they didn't show up for meetings uh it was uh it was a very very different time and interestingly you know i think that even um with the way the world has changed over the past 40 years i think the extent to which uh the brokerage world is going to change over the next five years is gonna blow away the change that we've seen over the last 40 based on AI and new technologies that are being developed. It's really mind boggling what's going on today. And the rate of change is gonna be
0: much faster than it's, it's occurred previously. And and I'm also curious about, because when I look at uh, the real estate market now, it seems, it seems like there's a lot of, of realtors out there that are just getting started. Was it as competitive back then in the 80s as it is now? Has it always been that competitive just to understand what the dynamics were for like you getting that job and and you making your mark and and how successful you were?
1: Yeah well I, I think the the world has changed uh, pretty dramatically. If I take you back to the 80s, um, you know commercial real estate wasn't really a mainstream uh, job category. Mm-hmm. Um, the, a lot of the folks who were active in commercial real estate back then, uh, it was a second, third, fourth career for them. They had done other things, got into real estate somehow. Um, today, a lot of colleges um, you know, have real estate majors. Uh, kids are getting interested in real estate at a lot younger age. Uh, real estate has become a much more mainstream asset class in terms of institutional investment. Um, so I think it's changed very dramatically. And, you know, interestingly, um, folks have said to me, well, gee, now with, with all the new technology you have, the deal process is so much quicker. There must be so much more business going on today than occurred back in the eighties and nineties. And the interesting thing in, in New York is that each successive decade, there are actually been fewer properties sold uh and but what technology has done is it has allowed an individual to do significantly more than they could have done in the past there are years in which i've sold over 100 buildings there's no way i could possibly do that in the 80s or 90s with the the technology the way it was then so i think what's happened is it actually has allowed fewer people to do more business uh because you have more horsepower with the the um the the strength that technology gives you um but it is uh it's probably a smaller industry today than it was previously um but i think people are getting into it a lot younger today it was very unusual for for me being a college kid to get into real estate as you know as a first job out of school um back then today it's very very commonplace i mean we have you know hundreds if not thousands of of folks apply for our summer internships on mm-hmm. um, very very competitive and I know it's like that at every shop and um you know it's really it's great to see that people are getting into real estate at such a
0: young age and when you you know as you sort of progress in your in your real estate career um in New York specifically, what pushes you down the route of doing commercial? because that's a, that's a behemoth that you're taking on. I'm assuming that it's hyper-competitive, the the best of the best take it on. This is where you've built your career. So what what was the passion in commercial real estate? Because sounds a little funny, right? Like passion for commercial real estate. It's something that passion for making money, passion for solving a certain problem. How do you get a passion for commercial real estate?
1: Yeah, it just, it was always fun to, you know, that first summer driving around looking at the buildings you know, and don't forget, the security in, in commercial buildings is very, very different in the eighties. I mean, you basically could walk into any building anywhere. Uh, you know, the way leasing brokers used to canvas big office towers, you just got in, took the elevator to the top floor, got out and and walked into every office and said, Hey, let me talk to the guy who makes real estate decisions here. I mean, that's how lack security was back then. Um and You know, I just, I I was driving around looking at these buildings and, you know, one building would be an office building and the next one is a retail property and the next one is an industrial building. And you're just looking at all these commercial properties and it was so cool to walk inside them, uh, see what was
0: going on, write down. Experience it. Experience the the money that just goes into some of these organizations and these buildings. It must be wild.
1: Yeah. So it was uh, just something that I really liked right off the bat. I mean I I always was very statistically and numbers oriented it all stems from being a baseball card collector as a kid I was probably one of the few kids that spent more time looking at the backs of the cards than the front of the cards um you know always always liked to look at stats and kept track of my own stats I was a baseball player a pitcher as a kid and um you know always kept track of those and then when it came to real estate, that first job was very, statistically oriented, figuring out the size of the building, the square footage, writing down a lot of data. And it just really, it resonated with me right off the bat. I never, never considered getting into residential real estate. It actually is a, there, there are some fundamentals that are similar, but it's a vastly different
0: business. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite. Now, as a business owner, I always remember when my company hits a growth spurt. It's great, I want to thank Belay for sponsoring today's episode. They provide solutions that all of us need. They help us get back more of our time because time is the most precious resource. A lot of you listening... slash uh, success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get twenty percent off is to go to JoinDeleteMe.com/success and enter code success at checkout. J O I N D E L E T E M E dot com/success. In residential than in in commercial. Um, I, I am I I am very curious about sort of your entrepreneurial. Um, Route that you took and you built your own brokerage and then obviously you sold it. So like very, very entrepreneurial mindset. I want to go down that road and sort of unpack some of the learnings that you you obviously figured out as you were building. But um, I would love to understand just what, for people that are listening that are not in real estate or not in commercial real estate, what does a commercial real estate transaction look like? Um, What does it look like from uh, finding the land selling the land, buying the land, all the way through to when they start to build. Like, can you just walk us through sort of like a, a typical transaction and what that looks like so they understand the the scope of work that you would do?
1: Sure. And, and I'll, I'll start with just kind of an example to give folks a sense of what the business is. And I always try to to simplify it in a way that you really can can very transparently understand what it is. So let's say I was going to leave New York and I'm going to go to Iceland and I'm going to sell rocks for a living. Um, what I would do is I'd make up a list of everybody that owns rocks. Uh, I'd then study the rock market, understand what different types of rocks sell for, how many there are of each type, um, look at sales trends and really become an expert on the value of rocks. And then I'd make up a list of everybody that wants to buy rocks and I would try to develop relationships with the people who um, who own the rocks. And when they wanna sell the rocks, I'd ask them to hire me exclusively to be their agent to to sell them. And then once I got hired, I'd call all the people that wanna buy rocks, and that's the brokerage business in a nutshell. So basically, I have a, a list of folks that I'm trying to develop relationships with that own real estate in New York. Um, I'm trying to explain to them that you know, I've done it before, I have the capability, I have expertise in the subject matter, and that if they hire me to sell their building, I'm likely to get them a higher price than if they hire somebody else. So I get hired to sell it, and then we send the information out to uh, the thousands of people that have expressed interest in buying properties here, uh, get folks interested, answer questions for them, give them information about the building, who are the tenants, how much are they paying, how long are the leases, what are the expenses, what kind of return will this investment, uh, provide, uh, and then you go through the process of getting people to make offers on the building. Um, and then you, you deal with the top two, three, four people at the top of the pack and ultimately, um, you know, sell to the one that's willing to pay the highest price. So it's a fairly simple business. It's just really hard because it takes a lot of, uh, of discipline and doing a lot of, very basic, fundamental blocking and tackling uh, mm. every day. Um, a lot of relationship building. I'm assuming it's a, yeah, it's without a, without that it. Of, the, yeah, the the key the key is to be top of mind with somebody because if you think about the New York market, um, and use Manhattan as a microcosm, south of 96th Street, which is the prime part of Manhattan, um, there are 27,649 buildings. The average turnover of that stock of buildings has been about 2.6% of the total stock in any one year. Um, So uh, buildings sell only once every 40 years on average. Mm -hmm. So the idea is to be there when that owner decides, hey, I need to sell. Whatever the reason might be, death, divorce, taxes, partnership disputes, uh, there may be a compelling strategic reason why somebody wants to sell. But you want them, the, the, the second after they think, hey, I need to sell, you want the next thing for them to think of is, hey, let me call Bob. And the way you do that is by constantly develop developing and nurturing a relationship with that owner, sending them market information, calling them, speaking to them all the time, uh, answering questions that they have, always staying in front of them so that you you remain on top of mind for them when they decide
0: they need to transact. So, I mean, there's a long tail to building a successful brokerage. Like you said, it's a lot of blocking and tackling, but there's a lot of there's a lot of relationship work that goes into it up front and has to be maintained. Um, I'm just curious because you you work with a whole bunch of young people and, and young realtors and people that come into the intern program. You, do you find that even the the personality of the individual is a little bit different than when you started and the need for immediate gratification is hurting people's real estate careers do you see that um not so much i i okay. think that may be a part of um
1: the way folks are built today because everything happens so quickly you know you get your deliveries same day you i know you need information you just you go google up uh, google a topic and within seconds you have the information everything happens much quicker today but i think you know, we always tell folks in real estate, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, you have to build those relationships. You have to take the time to, to do things properly and not take shortcuts. Um, and I think the folks who do well uh, in our business, the three, three main things that really stand out and, and lead to a high probability of success. One is being a true market expert in one niche of the market. Uh, the markets are generally so big, so many buildings, so many possible transactions, so many buyers, sellers, tenants, um, that you wanna pick one niche that's a manageable size that you really can become uh, a true expert in and develop that expertise. Uh, Second, you have to have passion for it. You have to love it because no matter how good you are, um, the market is always cyclical. There are gonna be ups and downs. And invariably, somebody is going to run into tough times. And if you have passion for it, it's going to give you that intestinal fortitude to, to fight through the tough times and stick around uh, and be there for the good times. Uh, and then the third part is discipline, the discipline to, uh, to do these things. You know, I love quoting Abraham Lincoln, uh, who said that discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. Um, if you keep your eye on the prize, understand what you want most, where you want to get to, what your macro objectives are, um, and you're not dissuaded from, from maintaining focus on those things, you know, you're know you able to do the, the, the nuts and bolts things that you have to do day in and day out to make sure that you achieve that
0: long-term objective. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, the Success Story Podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. So, if you like this show, you'll love some of the other shows in their network. One of my personal favorites is the Hustle Daily Show. It brings you a healthy dose of irreverent, offbeat, and informative takes on business and tech news. And you guessed it, every single day. Some of their recent episodes that were my personal favorites how AI is making fake IDs, how to meet your favorite CEO for a few thousand dollars, and also how TikTok is turning into an online mall. And starting to replace QVC. If you love business, if you want to get it daily, listen to the Hustle Daily Show wherever you get your podcast. Very, very smart. Um, what prompted you to start to build your own brokerage? And that's that. That was an, a very successful exit. You sold that. Uh, you sold the uh, the the uh, Massey Knackle Realty Services uh, for over a hundred million. So wildly successful by any. Uh, you know, business standards, entrepreneurial standards. Um, so where did that come from? Where did you start that? How did you grow it? How did you differentiate from all the other brokerages to to get to that level?
1: Yeah, well, at CB back in the 80s, we were, we were trying to implement a territory system. Uh, and a couple of years in, uh, one of the senior guys who had been there for a while, Uh, came up with a transaction in uh, Paul Massey in my territory and went to the boss and said hey I'm not going to bring these kids in on this deal you know I've known this guy for a long time I'm not going to do it and the boss said okay and we're like hey that's not fair we were supposed to be operating on a set of guidelines and principles so we're like hey man we're out of here Um, and so we went down to chemical bank at the time and saw our banker and said, Hey, we need 500 grand as a business loan. We're going to start a business. Where do we sign? And of course the banker laughs at us and say Hey guys, that's not the way it works. Go out, start your business, come back after you've been in business for three years and have a track record. And maybe we'll talk about giving you a revolving credit line. So we were depressed, went back to the office and, um, you know we uh for the next two years we saved money out of every transaction we did saved up enough we had about 400 grand uh to start the business and uh went uh went and in november of 88 started our firm uh we were absolutely uh dead set on having a an operating platform that we would not deviate from in any way uh so that uh, another young guy wouldn't feel like the he was uh, not being treated fairly so the the rules in our platform applied to uh to us just as it did to somebody's in their first day on the job uh and the uh, that worked out really well for us so we implemented a a geographic territory system um there were rules and guidelines it incentivized expertise uh, it incentivized collaboration. Um and was uh, a a key ingredient in the success that the firm had. How
0: how uh, how long did it take you to to get it off the ground? Like, tell me some some entrepreneurial story of just
1: a long time. How about that? Well, <laughs> uh, you know, 80, 88 was a good year. You know, stock market had crashed in October of eighty seven. Eighty eight was still a good year uh, in the real estate market. Things moved more slowly back then. Um, but eighty nine the the volume of sales started to dry up by 1990 we were in the heat of the savings and loan crisis. um we had one point in 1990 had fifteen thousand dollars in the bank uh, <laughs> our burn rate was fifteen thousand a month and we said you know what the heck do we do do we uh do we pay all the bills next month and then hope that we close a deal Uh, Do we pay $5,000 a month for the next three months of the most important bills? Keep the phones on and keep the lights on. Um, And it occurred to us that we had really good credit. So we went to every bank in town and said, hey, uh, we'll we'll get a $2,000 credit card at this bank and a $4,000 credit card at that bank. And between two of us, um, we had about $60,000 in credit card lines. Uh, so that was four months of operating the business. So we, we ran for a couple of years on those, uh, those lines. Uh, and then we also ran out of money again because the banks at that time were going through what was a two or three year foreclosure process. They would then get title to the property and then started selling. And that selling really started in 93. Um, as I recall in the, in, in a big wave, Uh, and, um, we had the credit cards maxed out, out of money again in ninety-two. Uh, so we went to one of our, our super rich clients and said, Hey, we need a seventy-five thousand dollar loan. We've done some business with you. Uh, it seems like you like us. Would you give us seventy five? We're in. And he said, You know what? I really like you boys. I'll give you the seventy five, but I want fifty percent of the stock in your business. Oh, that's pricey. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Let us think about it. Um, and of course we were depressed and, um, the, we didn't have any family members that we could go to directly, but, uh, Paul had a stepfather-in-law that was in the mortgage brokerage business in New Jersey, a guy by the name of Jack Holler. And we went out to see Jack and we said, Hey Jack, uh, we need 75 brand. We'll give you 25% of the stock in the business. Uh, and you know, people often ask, you know, what was the kindest thing anybody ever did for you? um this was it uh jack said guys i'm going to give you the 75 grand don't don't want the 25 percent of the stock someday you're going to be very successful and you'll be upset that you gave me the stock so not going to uh not going to do that and uh you know it was a uh it was a great uh great thing got us got us through until the market started revolving again you know volume started to happen and uh you know it was a uh it was a great uh great thing he did for us uh so the company started to to make money by 93 94 uh and but personally i i lived on credit cards from 1988 to uh to 1998 uh and there's, my my net worth fluctuated between 0 and minus 180,000 because i had gotten my own personal lines up to 180,000 on credit credit cards uh and uh you know it was uh it was a wild ride but uh worth every minute of it
0: most people i don't think would stick it out that long that's that's tough that's a tough 10 years that's but that's sometimes what it takes so that's sometimes what it takes and then you hit the when the markets turn around because that's the thing too right like i'm assuming you know you can be the best broker you can be a great marketer you can have good relations but like, like market impacts in a major way, even if you have all those things.
1: Yeah. And we just, we, we believed that, you know, someday it would work out. We believed in what we were doing. Yeah. Uh, always loved the job, even during the tough times. So, uh, you know, we stuck it out.
0: Fortunately, everything worked out. And like you've, you've made some, you've made some really bold moves. I mean, um, I think uh, after the September 11th, 9 11 terrorist attacks, everybody was downsizing you are hiring aggressively today's show is brought to you by one password now listen we all have that one friend who's constantly forgetting passwords and needing help to get into their accounts i have a solution it's called one password one is the award-winning password manager trusted by millions of users and companies like ibm and slack to keep logins credit cards and other private info safe in an encrypted vault that only you can access no more sticky notes with passwords or using the same password everywhere I've been using 1Password for a year now and I can't recommend it enough. It saves me time from having to reset passwords and gives me peace of mind knowing my info is secure. With convenient features like automatic password generation and login autofill, 1Password takes the hassle out of passwords. You can use it on all your devices, iOS, Android, Mac, PC, everything syncs seamlessly. And with top-notch security audits and encryption, your data stays private. So do yourself a favor and check out 1Password today. Go to onepassword.com slash Clary and get a two week free trial. Let one password remember all of your logins for you so you can remember what really matters. That's onepassword.com slash Clary for two weeks free. I want to take a second and thank Indeed. They're a huge sponsor of the Success Story podcast. And as business leaders, we're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all, it's to match with Indeed. Now, if you need to hire, They set up that link for all success story podcast listeners. That is a no risk free trial at backblaze.com slash story. Seriously, back up your stuff. So you have a certain style of leadership that's worked out, but even walk me through that decision because that's like a, a small example of how you lead and how you built, I think is very, very important.
1: Yeah, that was that was a big inflection point in the history of the company. Um, up until that time, I think in nine eleven, we had twenty one people. Uh, and at, up to that point, Paul and I had done all the hiring ourselves, uh, all the interviewing, hiring, et cetera. And we saw every company downsizing. Uh, a lot of companies were, um, were scared. And great quality people were, were out on the street without a job, you know, brokers, uh, bankers, uh, lawyers, accountants. And we're like, there's great quality people out there. And New York is tough. We're going to bounce back from this. And um, we went out and hired a director of HR, and said, you know what? Let's go hire all these great people. And uh, two years later, we had 150 people. Uh, we had opened offices in uh, Queens and Brooklyn, and it, we did that at a time when, um, you know, most Manhattan brokers thought their shoes would get too dirty if they went across the river to the outer boroughs. Now it's very cool to be in the outer boroughs. Um, but we had those offices open and fully staffed. And so when the markets really started to to do well in the outer boroughs, we already had tremendous boots on the ground uh, and really had, had very dominant market share uh, in investment sales in the outer boroughs, particularly at that time. And uh, it was, look, that move, Scott, could have just totally put us out of business. But uh, we- Those are the best believed And <laughs> we, we believed-, uh, we believed in New York City. We believed in, in our, our platform. Um, and uh had a bunch of great people come on board
0: and uh it was uh it was a fun ride. So did you do something similar during COVID with a lot of people losing their jobs? Did you pick up talent? I know it's not your company anymore, but this was that the like the, the strategy?
1: Yeah, well it's a it's a different um uh situation now. Um you know, JLL is a huge company. We have 102,000 employees worldwide. And, um, you know, the the group that I run in New York is the private capital group. And um, the folks who are the main producers in that business were all folks that i have been working with back to the Massey Nackle days. We probably have an average tenure of about 25 years together um, so that we didn't... Uh, increase, uh, our headcount all that much during the downturn. Um,
0: but, um, still as, as much fun as it used to be. I love it. Um, tell me as you're building out, as you're building out the firm, um, that was one bold move you took. What was, what was one of the worst decisions that you made? One of the, the shit hit the fan moments when you were building it out.
1: <laughs> oh gosh. Probably many. I, well, I'll tell you the, the one very early on. It's not really a big one, but just emblematic of the fact that you had two guys running a business that didn't really know what the hell they were doing. Um, we went to a printer to get report covers done, uh, and they were were a black report cover with a white box in the middle, and then our green logo in the middle of the white box. And these were going to be the the covers that went on the reports that we gave to clients and that kind of thing and um we get them back from the printer and pick them up and all of a sudden our thumbs are black and we're like what the heck is going on and we went to the cheapest printer out there you know not somebody that was really that good they didn't put varnish on them so we called the guy up and said hey man you didn't put varnish on me he said you didn't ask for varnish would have been more if we would varnish on so like we can't use these so what we did you know we're small it's just me paul we had ed winslow who was the first salesman we hired jim ventura who was the second salesman we hired who's a, a kindergarten friend of mine and a secretary and we send the secretary down to the the Dwayne reed drugstore we said go buy five cans of hairspray so we take a newspaper, spread it out on the floor of the office, put these report covers down, and we're spraying them with hairspray so that when it dried, you could touch it and not get black ink all over your fingers. So, you know, that was, uh, that was one of the things, another thing we, we said, uh, to our, our secretary, Hey, we want you to keep the books. Uh, and write the checks and take care of all that stuff, not knowing that she didn't know how to balance a checkbook. <laughs> and she came to us one time, a couple of years in. It's like, oh, guys, by the way, uh, uh you know. And she was just stuffing bills in the drawer and forgetting about them. We, you know, our burn rate was fifteen thousand bucks a month. We had sixty thousand dollars in unpaid bills that we had to deal with. So another. You know, a lot of uh, trial and error, and I will say that the biggest mistakes that we made uh, were made because we didn't think enough to ask people who had been there and done that for advice. So yeah. we did way too many things like that by trial. and We didn't make any really giant mistake that really caused it, but a series, hundreds and hundreds of these these small mistakes that uh, that added up. Um, and I think we could have avoided many of them if we had just thought to ask senior people for advice and <clears throat> and that kind of thing. And then in later years, um, we actually had an advisory board of very senior people uh, in the business world and the real estate world that helped us tremendously and learned our lesson about uh, trial and error and how that's not the best the best way to to do things. So I guess. The answer is a lot of, a lot of small paper cuts we got along the way, but fortunately nothing, uh, big that serious.
0: So then, you know, 26 years later in 2014, uh, that's when you sold pushman Wakefield for a hundred million. So incredible, incredible exit. You went back to work the next week, which I think is hilarious. Um, good for you. Uh, listen, I like your attitude. I like, I like how you look at work. I think it's important. Um, Fast forward, uh, you 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 always are a hard worker. I think that's something that's sort of You know, it's been throughout your entire career. You're a very hard worker. Um, in 2020, uh, you walked every block of Manhattan to document all these development sites. So you always do things. The best way I can put them is a little bit outside the box and a little bit analog in a world where everybody's trying to optimize and do things in uh, a digital way. Nothing wrong with that. It, it helps people work quicker, faster, but you still do things and get your hands dirty. Like you you do. So what was the point of that project?
1: Yeah, well, that was, uh, that was actually something I had wanted to do for about 10 years. Um, I sell a lot of development sites in New York. Um, those development sites are typically made up of a bunch of little small buildings that can knock down to make way for a new big building. Um, and in order to value land properly, you really need to know what the supply pipeline looks like uh, on similar properties that your new property that you're going to build is going to compete with. Um, so there's the very opaque information about the pipeline of new development in New York. The, the best data set that's available is in the uh, residential space for condominiums. Although all the big residential firms produce reports that are all great, but they're very different from each other. Some count things that others don't. And and it's really hard to get a sense of what's really out there. So for years, I wanted to go out and actually count the the buildings that are under construction. You're standing in front of a, a site, you know whether there's a building under construction or not. You can see whether, whether it's there or not. Um, and, you know, doing it on google earth or something like that you know that that may be six months old or nine months old i'm uh, not uh, not up to date with regard to, to to today um so i i wanted to get out and actually do it and during the pandemic uh i had gotten out of town there were some rumors that they were going to quarantine the entire city and shut all the bridges and tunnels um, so, I, I took my wife and my daughter up to our country house in Connecticut. We left kind of in a hurry when we heard that rumor. We didn't want to be stuck in the city. Um, and uh, uh, a couple of, yeah, you know, we were told, go home, go home for two weeks, then come back. Everything will be fine. And uh, so it was very clear two weeks later that we weren't going to come back and everything wasn't going to be normal. So, um, we left in such a haste that I had to go back into the city to get some stuff. And I'm driving down the FDR drive and get into Manhattan. And it was like a ghost town, Scott. Unbelievable. No stores were open. There were no people on the street. There were no cars moving. And I'm driving to my apartment and it occurred to me, you know what? If I'm ever going to walk around the city, this is the perfect time to do it. So I called up the, the folks I work with. I said, hey, let's make copies of that Sanborn tax lot map. I'm gonna go out into the field. Uh, I brought one of them with me each time. Uh, We'd drive the car to point A, get out, walk around for a half hour, drive to point B, get out, walk around for a half hour. Um, And we color coded everything on the map um, for buildings that were under construction, buildings that had been demolished, buildings that looked like uh, potential development sites uh, and assemblages where you're putting together multiple properties. Uh, And then came back, since we did that, it was about 220 hours in the field. Uh, Every street of Manhattan, south of 96 on the east side and 110 on the west side, uh, have done thousands of hours of research after that, um, figuring out uh, what the pipeline is. So now in terms of the pipeline of new construction, we've broken it into five buckets. residential rental units condo units hotels offices and then a miscellaneous bucket uh we have it down to the square inch um for everything that's being done in the city the deals that are actively under construction uh, sites that are in the planning stage potential sites that we're prospecting to um we're doing all of that stuff and um you know it's it's been uh it's been great it's it's allowed us to um uh, to value properties very accurately. Uh, it's given our clients great insights into the market. Uh, since we did the field work, we've been tracking every demolition permit, uh, foundation permit, and building permit that, uh, uh, that has been filed. So it's completely up to date. When I have clients come in, uh, we're constantly modifying the map with the inside information that they're giving us about deals they're working on. And, uh, it's just, it's been a great thing.
0: It's interesting. Like, I mean, you just gotta, you gotta be, like you said, you gotta niche down. You gotta be an expert in your field. You gotta do the hard work. Like these are, these are just good tenants of, of, of building a strong business. Now you have the map room, um, huge competitive advantage because you walk the streets, you've done the work, you've done the research. It's actually funny that even in 2024. The, the 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 map room you built by walking the streets is still the competitive advantage, and it's not sitting on the internet somewhere. It's very interesting,
1: right? You know, if people have said, "Hey, Bob, I I do digital stuff. I can digitize it for you." Yeah. I don't want it digitized because looking at it on a computer screen is very different. And I mean, you see behind me, you have yeah sections of the map on the wall. I show you this this table has the big big map. Oh yeah, it, but yeah yeah. Every- they're individual, and and it's nothing new. I'm going to show you a picture from uh, I'm not sure exactly what year, but this is the early '90s, and that's me sitting at my desk with maps on the wall. So, as much it as works, much as the world
0: has changed, the world has stayed the same. Amen. All right. Um, to finish this off, uh, I want to just I want to get uh like a website, social. Where do you want to send people if they want to connect with you? sort of learn what you're working on um what's the best place to go
1: sure well you could always email me at bob.nackle at jll.com or, or i'm on all the social media platforms very active on linkedin and twitter um happy to have you dm me or or email me and uh, you know be happy anybody
0: has any real estate questions uh happy to answer them amazing all right last two questions rapid fire um First one, if you could look back and tell your twenty-year-old self one thing, what would it be?
1: Uh, don't do things by trial and error. And ask ask older people who have the experience and have been there and done
0: that for their advice, and you'll save a lot of time and effort. Good. And then, if you you know you look forward now, um, what does success mean for you in the future?
1: Yeah, well, I think success uh, really has to do with the. Um, the sense of peace that you you ultimately get to in your life um and i think that's something we're all striving for we talk about work-life balance we talk about things that are important to us but i think the extent to which you can um you know sit down at the end of the day and and feel like uh you have peace within you that you you've treated people right you've done the right thing you you live a good life uh i think that that to me is success yeah.
0: Done.